You are listening to audio from Riverside Church. If you would like to check out more resources, please visit riverside.church. This morning there's a lot of different scriptures that I'm going to be reading, so I'm not going to start with one. I'm just going to jump right into the sermon. But before I jump right into the sermon, let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much for uh, your presence and that light that drives out the darkness. Thank you for the way it drives out the darkness in our own lives, in our community, in the world. Lord, be near to us today as we open your word together, and may these words of my mouth and the meditations and thoughts of every one of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, if you, uh, if you don't know me, I'm Andrew, and uh, we're going to begin, like sort of soft beginning of a new series today, and it's just practices. We're going to be spending the next, I think it's six weeks, but it's a fairly short series, just leaning into a bunch of different Christian practices, anchors of our faith, anchors of how we live as Christians in the world. Um, they're foundational, time-tested practices, and today we're going to look at like one of the most foundational sort of building block practices, and that is Sabbath keeping. Um, Sabbath, it comes from the Hebrew word, which means rest. So the Hebrew word Sabbath actually means rest. Um, It's used to describe the very formal rhythms of resting, the weekly and the yearly and the every seven years rhythm of, of, of resting, but it's also used to describe just rest. It's used both ways, formally and informally. And um, the Sabbath you're, you're most likely familiar with is the weekly Sabbath, right? One day in seven, a day for the Lord, of which you are to rest from all your work. You've probably heard that or something like that. There's also a Sabbath year, one year in seven, where land is to be unplowed and unused, giving a year of rest to land. But I think appreciating Sabbath may require a visit to a time before the Sabbath existed. So rest has always existed, right? Right? The seventh day of creation, very early in the Bible. I think it's even in chapter one. Uh, On the seventh day, God rested, right? So there was Sabbath there, but it wasn't like a formal procedure for the people yet when that story was told. It was just God resting. But I want to take us on a little journey to the pre-Sabbath people of God living under harsh slavery in Egypt. So we need a transition as we go back in time before Sabbath. So Diddly-doo, diddly-doo, diddly-doo. All right, here we are. Exodus chapter 5, our first scripture reading. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. The same day, Pharaoh gave the order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. 
you are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw. But require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They're lazy. That's why they're crying out. Let us go and make sacrifices to our God. Make the work harder for the people so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. Then the slave drivers and overseers went out and said to the people, This is what the Pharaoh says, I will not give you any more straw. Go and get your own straw wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble to use for straw. The slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, Complete the work required of you each day, just as when you had straw. And Pharaoh's slave drivers beat the Israelite overseers they had appointed, demanding, Why haven't you met your quota of bricks yesterday or today as before? Brutal, right? Pharaoh does not seem like a good hang, right? Like, this is intense. And even if this wasn't in the context of slavery, which it was, can you imagine? You're already doing one of the most difficult jobs in the world, right? Brick making. Maybe not br- difficult in terms of like technical skill, but difficult in terms of backbreaking labor. A brick is a simple construction material, but bricks in ancient Egypt were made with basically three ingredients, soil, straw, and water, combined using a lot of kneading and waiting and kneading and waiting. And of those three ingredients, soil, straw, and water, I picture in Egypt water being the most scarce, right? Because we're trying to make bricks. But Pharaoh is taking away the straw. Go find your own straw. It's hard enough as it is just making bricks, mixing, kneading, stomping, kneading again. Now I'll go out, get some more straw stubble that doesn't even contain, from what I understand and read in a commentary, the levels of humic acid required to make stable bricks. They're set up for a lose-lose proposition. Praise God that we don't live as Hebrews in pre-Exodus Egypt. Amen? It's pretty nice that this is not the world that we're looking at. Um, I hope that as we read that description of life in pre-Exodus Egypt, your struggles at work feel small in comparison. I hope. I'm I'm not guaranteeing that that's the case, but I do hope that your work problems feel less than that. But I don't want to discount how brutal it can be right here and now for all of you in the working world. Okay, so maybe you felt this way. Maybe you felt the way the Israelites felt. Like you're in a lose-lose situation and you are under pressure to be relentlessly productive. You're trying to run a business maybe. The cost of materials or labor is rising astronomically, yet your customers want the old prices. And you and your customers both hate jacking up prices, but you also have to run a business, so what choice is there but to work more or charge more or do something more, more, more? Or you, an employee, get a project deadline assigned to you at 4.45 on a Friday. Great timing. Uh, You're supposed to leave for vacation, and you have to either reschedule the front end of your trip or stress your way through your vacation, but either way, rest is going to have to wait. Or your boss is just unreasonable and expects you to be available and early in several places at once, perform perfectly, and just overwhelms you with stress. Or you're trying to educate students, maybe, who are traumatized and underperforming while understaffed and under-resourced and handcuffed by bureaucracy and red tape. 
and you're supposed to do it all and work more and harder and for less pay, and all of you need to stop whining and being lazy. Have you heard or felt that way before? Pharaoh similarly promotes a narrative that the Israelites are just being lazy, right? He's convinced that Moses and Aaron are liars, that they didn't want to go meet with God. That wasn't the point at all. God didn't ask him to go out for three days in the wilderness for a festival. Pharaoh doesn't know the Lord, and I believe him when he says that. No, you're, you're right. Yeah, I don't, I don't think you do know him. But Pharaoh doesn't want to lose his whole labor force while they go out and follow this Yahweh out into the wilderness for three days. So, like any dictator would, he punishes the workers. Verse 15, picking up the same story from earlier. The Israelite overseers went and appealed to Pharaoh. Why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, yet we are told, make bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. Pharaoh said, lazy, that's what you are, lazy. That's why you keep saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. Just keep saying the same thing over and over again, right? The Israelite overseers realized they were in trouble when they were told, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required for each of you each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You've made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Yikes. But this lazy worker narrative keeps going, right? It persists. They're given an impossible job to do. And when they can't do it, they're called lazy. The Israelites just don't want to work. Pharaoh complains, so you want to go make sacrifices to your Lord on company time, which, by the way, seven days a week, all year round, is company time in this world, right? They don't have weekends off. They don't have any time off. All of this is company time. So you take three days in the wilderness, that's productivity that I am not going to get, me being Pharaoh. I don't really want to take that on, but... Slave laborers don't get to request religious exemptions. Pharaoh treats the Israelites as subhuman, as mere units of productivity. Is that, are you getting that? Are we seeing that from this text? No rest, no Sabbath, just more brutal work. But then, the Lord frees these people from slavery under Pharaoh. It's a really great story. I recommend reading it, especially if you're into frogs and locusts and skin ailments. Uh, or if you were around when Riverside spent like a year going through Exodus, you may remember the story from that. Uh, on the side of freedom, there are many things. But, but there's ten in particular commands for the people to remember and to do that once they get free from the oppression under Pharaoh, these are the things that are the most important things that will define them and guide their living together. Ten, what we call them, commandments. And the one of the ten that gets the longest description of those ten is this incredible gift. And you've probably already guessed what it is. So now, we have to transition again to a time when the Sabbath does exist. Diddly-doo, diddly-doo, diddly-doo. Okay. Here we are, Exodus chapter 20, now in verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. 
On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So the Lord had to remove his people from a system of oppression where they could not get any time off, right? There were... There was no possibility of them getting time away. They tried, they tried, and Pharaoh just said, no, no, I'm not giving you three days away. I'm not giving you one day away. You're liars and you're lazy, right? Pharaoh had to remove them, or Pharaoh, sorry. The Lord had to remove them from that situation under Pharaoh. The Lord had to free his people, let them go, had to rescue them because they weren't going to be let go on their own. And as part of the agreement that the Lord establishes with his people, once he gets them out of there, is this beautiful gift, right? Isn't it beautiful? Sabbath. Sabbath rest. It's supposed to be beautiful. That may not be the first thing you think of when you hear it. You may think of, oh, I don't get to do anything fun on Sundays. But the reality is, what Sabbath is and what Sabbath was created to be is a gift. A gift for God's people to be able to worship, to be able to rest, and not just for me. Great. This is, this is the longest commandment because it takes great care to talk about who gets to practice Sabbath. And again, it's not just me. It's not just business owners. It's not just the people with power. It is you are not to do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, right, the whole family, your male or female servant, nobody in the household, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your own towns. That is, you don't just pass the work on to other people on the Sabbath and say, well, so that I can rest, you have to do more work. That's not, the, that's not Sabbath. That's not what Sabbath is. Sabbath is rest for all, for the whole community. That's pretty powerful. And rest for, for individuals is a good thing too. I don't know about you, but when I go too long without taking a day off, without taking a day of true rest, about when I just keep going and going and going and, you know, burning the candle at both ends or whatever metaphor you want to use, it gets, it gets rough, right? The mood gets rough. The beard gets disheveled, right? Everything just kind of is not the way it should be. It's not put together the way it should because I'm not living the way I was created to live or the way that God wants me to live. God wants us to rest. He wants us to embrace the gift of rest. But Sabbath started to take a dark turn among the people of God because the people of God didn't want to just receive it as a gift. They wanted to define it, right? They wanted to have real clear guidelines on what was Sabbath-keeping and what was not Sabbath-keeping, what I get to do on Sabbath and what I don't get to do on Sabbath, and who gets to do what on Sabbath. And I just want to show you one more time through another transition, magical transition, what happens by the time of Jesus, right? So there's some thousands of years between the, the giving of the, the Ten Commandments and the initiation of Sabbath practice among the people of God and the time when Jesus comes and walks the earth, okay? So we're, we're talking a couple thousands of years. But here's what happens over those couple thousands of years. So diddly do diddly do diddly do. Luke chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, 
going through the grain fields, okay? His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did? When he and his companions were hungry, he entered a house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had not known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into, into their synagogue, and a man with a disheveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And he said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. This is what the Sabbath had devolved into by the time Jesus came on the scene. Okay? This is how people were approaching Sabbath rest. Is it restoration? Is it rest? Is it delight? Forget about those things. That's not what Sabbath is about. Sabbath is about making sure you don't do something wrong. You may relate to that. You may have grown up in a culture, environment where Sabbath keeping just felt like, I don't know, just the day you couldn't do stuff. And there's nothing wrong with setting limits on doing stuff on the Sabbath, right? That actually is appropriate for the Sabbath. But if that's all our imagination is, it's just like a, just like a bummer, then we've, we've totally missed what Sabbath is. Sabbath was never meant to be a bummer. Sabbath was meant to be the great celebration of the fact that we get to rest. Just like God did when he, when he made everything, he got to rest, and he wants us to get rest too. He wants us to work, but he wants us to rest too. Um, do you know what Jesus said right before this story? The story I just read about the sheep falling into the pit and the person with the hand. and Right before that story, Jesus says this. This is the very end of Luke chapter 11 which came right before the story about grain fields. He said this. In our English translation, the word Sabbath is not in this one, but it is several times in the other passage. But in Luke chapter 11, this is what Jesus says. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you Rest. If he was speaking Hebrew, he would have said, I will give you Sabbath. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle 
and humble in heart, and you will find rest. You will find Sabbath for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Whatever Sabbath has meant to you in your life, whatever Sabbath teaching you've received over the years, I hope, I hope there's at least room for this in that definition. However you practice Sabbath, however you think about, conceive of Sabbath, whatever it looks like, and again, there's nothing wrong with just taking a day and not working every week. That's exactly the way it was designed and the way it should be. That's the practice of Sabbath. But what it should get us is this, the sense of unburdening, of unwearying rest and Sabbath for our souls. In a moment, we'll come to the table, which is where we come. We come with open hands. We come to receive freely the gifts that God gives to us. We don't come because we've done something wonderful. We've done something exceptional. We come because Christ has done something exceptional in our behalf. And he offers it to us as a gift. And I hope that communion never becomes the thing that Sabbath became for so many of God's people. Just an obligation, a requirement. Something that doesn't actually provide relief and unweariness and unburdening for our souls. But it should. It's the promise Christ gives to us as we come to his table. And he says those words to us again, and I'm going to say them again very slowly, and maybe close your eyes. But this is our call to the table today. And I hope you know that as you hear these words from Jesus, that he will fulfill his promises to us. When he says these words, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Thank you for listening to Riverside Church. For more resources, visit riverside.church.